When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. All right. Welcome back to the Dungeon of Doom. Ben, things are heating up around here. Four wins in five weeks for the Detroit Lions of 40 to 14. Just ass-kicking last week against the Jacksonville Jaguars. Did not punt the football. It was as convincing game as I've seen from Detroit in my 10 years on the beat. Really, like just quarter to quarter, whistle to whistle. It, it was the most authoritative game I think I've seen from Detroit. Setting up for an interesting December here as we head toward the playoff push. Yeah, this is my first time. This is my fourth season that uh, they played meaningful December football, and I walked in here on Wednesday, and uh, every chair was filled in every row. And I mean, shoot, I remember this time last year, it was just, you know, the, the six diehards every day. So, I mean, the focus is up. The postseason, I mean, they're in it. I mean, they're in it. It's a long shot. We'll get into that more later, but they're in it. They're alive in this weekend's game against the Vikings. It's a hat and t-shirt game for the Vikings, <laughs> and it's going to have a playoff atmosphere this weekend for sure. So, it's exciting times, man. There's stakes. And... As a Lions beat writer, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm not used to that this late in the season. You know, it's been, I mean, they were, they've been in last place for every day in December, every year since the Caldwell administration, 2017. It, it's really a remarkable run, even for them and their history. We, we know how sordid their history is. They had not finished in, in last place like, you know, for this long ever. And so, to, you know, I mean, listen, they're... Odds of making the postseason are slim. Yeah. I don't think either of us expected that to happen. They basically have to win out. At best, they can lose one more game. But we're talking about it. And we're not talking about a draft pick. And we're not talking about tanking and losing as many games as possible, which is always the conversation this time of year, the past few years. And that's progress for Detroit. I think we're seeing all over the field. Got, got a great guest today. I mean, just speaking of progress, right? Like James Houston, the rookie linebacker, he was the one guy from the rookie class who didn't make the team out of training camp. Now, is second in the league in sacks among all rookies, trailing only Aiden Hutchinson. It's really been like a remarkable amount of progression. Just a remarkable story for that guy and his progress from where he was when he first got here to where he is now, where he's just lighting up, you know, Trevor Lawrence and, and so forth. And so we'll get to him on the back end of this nice conversation with him and his rise out of really nowhere to become one of the most productive, you know, pass rushers in his rookie class. But first, Ben, there's just so much good stuff happening on the offensive side of the football that has really propelled, I think, this team to where it is now, right? I think the defense has made a ton of progress, but it's really been the offense, I think, largely carrying this team this year. And on Sunday, we finally got our first look at Jamison Williams. Yeah. And that's been a big talking point. I think we, I mean, maybe that's a good place to start. What would what, you think of the first peak you got at, at Jamison Williams? You know, not much to take from what he did on the field, but like 
every time he ran on the field from the sideline, the crowd woke up. Every time he was on the field, the crowd was awake. I mean, you could actually feel the anticipation. I mean, I know they tried to get him a target downfield later in that game, didn't have much of a chance on it, but just getting him out there, I think it was for eight reps on offense. It was hilarious. I think, what, three of the first four snaps, one of them was a fullback dive. I'm like, (laughs) just getting him out there, getting him used to it. There's not much to say about his play yet because it hasn't been, you know, he's been a decoy. He's been a run blocker. He's been out there for run blocking plays. But I mean, that that was my main takeaway is this crowd is ready for that dude to catch anything. And the lid is going to just explode because, I mean, they were faint. We want J-Mo chance breaking out as the offense is scoring every time they touch the ball. They're cheering for the first-round rookie to get a look, to get By the By the ball. end of the game, I don't know how faint they were. I yeah. mean, it was pretty confident in the game. And I'm, I, 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 Jameson said this week in the locker room that he, he heard those chants, and hmm. that it was the first time he'd ever heard chants like that, that even in college, he had never heard his name chanted and here he is in his first NFL action mostly as a gunner or scheduled to be a gunner and the, the, the I mean like it's your dream to make the NFL yeah. and you're in your NFL debut after sitting out the first 11 games because of an injury and the crowd is chanting your name as the as your team just dominates the Jacksonville Jaguars just ran them off the field and it was a remarkable game and the crowd is chanting his name that's a Pretty notable thing, and you know, Jamison Jamison Williams heard that. Obviously, the the big thing going forward is you know how much will Jamison Williams play against the Vikings? And you know, we just saw eight snaps in his debut, Ben, two of which were in the victory formation, which I thought was kind of funny. And then, so of the six remaining actual plays, four were running plays. One of those was a, a fullback dive, by the way. So it's, I mean, he was. It was very clear that he was not in the offensive game plan against Jacksonville, which made sense. And if you listened to the podcast last week, you and I went pretty, pretty hard in on how we didn't think he was going to play at all. And I think you and I were shocked. I I had gotten word on Saturday that Jamison was going to get cleared to play against Jacksonville. And I called you up and your reaction's like, what? (laughs) What? What? When we didn't expect it. And it was for all, I mean, it was for a lot of valid reasons and i think the role bared that out that he had on sunday he he wasn't in the game plan he was out there to get his feet wet is the word that they keep using they wanted to get him a taste of the nfl of game speed and get him out there i think maybe just work out some jitters in a low pressure environment where he wasn't gonna have to shoulder much of really anything could get him out there get him in shoulder pads have him taste that atmosphere and then get him out of the game mm-hmm. healthy and you know, get him more practice this week, get him more involved with Jared Goff in the first team offense. I mean, he was on the scout team most of last week. So we're seeing more of that this week. You can see that, right? Like in the way that he's being used in practice, we don't get to see very much. It's a lot of stretching. <laughs> I have seen grown men stretch for a lot of my life. Too much, man. <laughs> they, they, they didn't tell me that in journalism school, how much I was going to be watching grown men stretch. But, but we do get to watch some individual drills and whatnot. You can see him creeping up in the order in, in which he's taking his reps. That's usually a sign that got, you know, a guy is creeping up in the, in the pecking order and i think we're going to see a lot more from james williams on on sunday yeah i think so too like you said super surprised last week but i mean shoot now you're going into this game you've deleted some of those jitters you've deleted some of those if there were any butterflies in this kid's stomach i mean he's done it before he's gone through the routine he's done the warm-ups he's put the pads on in the locker room with the team for the first time and whether or not he was super involved with the plan or not he's played he played eight nfl snaps in a regular season game so i think you know I, I do see value in that. If you're going to have him on the roster, at least put him through that. But I mean, shoot, like you said, he's not he's not dead last in the line. He's not behind Josh Johnson 
in the pass catching line in the 15, 20 minutes of practice we get to see. I mean, yeah. I, I think it would be pretty safe to imagine he's going to get more than one target this week. I don't think he's going to be up there eating yeah. snaps like crazy, but if you told me he had 15 snaps and three targets, I could get down with that, and I would buy yeah. into that. What do you think of their... So he didn't play on Gunner because they didn't punt, but the plan was, in fact, for him to play to start at Gunner. And I know there was some hand-wringing, yeah. you know, and I, and I understand it, you know, because... Hey, he's first round pick coming off major knee surgery. Do you really want to put him out there on special teams and expose him to the injury risk of that? Where'd you land on that whole discussion? I'm fine with it moving forward, but I would like to maybe let him get hit once before you put him in a highly volatile position like a gunner. Like, yeah, maybe he's fast enough to force a fair catch every time he gets down there. But like there are chances he's going to be the guy first to the ball. I mean, kid's fast. Yeah, the kid's fast. I mean, I I wouldn't have done that in his first game. I wouldn't do it again this week. But if it's something moving forward as a spot, like, you know, you know, you got Jack Fox, a guy who can put the ball kind of where he wants more, more than most. So it's like, if that's in the plan moving forward, sure, go for it. But I didn't vibe with that in his first game action or his second game action. I think you could use him as a spot piece in big situations. But like, you brought this kid to play wide receiver. See, I think about it exactly the opposite. Nice. Like if you're yeah. gonna if you're gonna play him on Gunner, like like that is the time to do it. Because he like as he moves forward, he plays, as you say, maybe fifteen snaps against the Vikings, maybe slightly more than that. And of course, you're gonna work that yeah. workload up going forward. The more he's playing, the less you need him to play on special teams. The only reason to play him on special teams in the first place, I think, was it was a very controlled way to get Jameson Williams on the field of full speed, taking hits, giving yeah. hits which is part of the process to return to play. And usually it plays out over a long period of time, but they don't have a long period of time. It's the last month of the season and they're in a playoff race. Yeah, I mean, they're trying to climb back into it anyway. And so they're expediting that process as much as possible. And to me, I I just think the concerns are overblown. Of course, in the NFL or any level of football for that matter, anytime you run a guy in the field, there's an injury risk. So the more you play a guy, the more he's at risk to be injured no matter who the guy is. That's just how it works. But like, if your concern is so great about Jamison Williams that you think putting him on the field for three or four or five snaps in a controlled environment, like as a gunner, is going to put him at such a grave risk that, you know, you might lose him again, he's probably not healthy enough to play in the first place. If you've given him that medical green light, which the Lions have, I actually think that like, it's way more controlled for him to get those initial hits out of the way and some of the initial like, just full speed running and, and live bullets out of the way on special teams because he's the one doing the hitting. Whereas like when you're on offense, you can't really dictate what the defense is doing to you, right? And if the ball comes your way, I mean, there's a lot of like variables at play. Whereas if you're a gunner, it's see ball, land, see guy, hit guy, you know? Yeah. And that's kind of where I landed on that. I, and I understand the blowback because it's very unconventional. Like, that yeah. didn't surprise me. I just didn't have a problem with what they were doing either. I just, and I get what you're saying. I, there's just something about special teams and the punt, you know, it is more controlled that, that you know what the other team is trying to do to a tee, but I feel like kicking the ball in the air adds an element of unpredictability and the return phase and the speed you're colliding with guys downfield. It does to me. I mean, it's one mm-hmm. of the more dangerous plays in football. So it's like, I would have been, and I'm usually aggressive. Go get him out there. If he's going to play, play him. But like with that, it's just like, get a couple reps under him, get, let him, let him take a hit catching a pass or running downfield as a decoy on a four vert streaker or something like that. But eh, yeah, I mean, we'll let him roll. The, the, the good news is you still got Amon Ross St. Brown. Shoot, yeah. <laughs> Shoot, man. And I wrote about this, I mean, in basically two different ways this week, but one pretty explicitly, which was basically it's interesting to me, Ben, as, 
everyone goes crazy for Jameson Williams. I mean, the mm-hmm. fever for Jameson Williams is insane. We heard it, right? We heard it at, yeah. at Ford Field, the chance for his name. But then you look on the field and they're scoring in every possession. And the biggest reason that they're scoring in every possession is because they have, I mean, one of the top receivers yeah. in the league. And if you believe Ben Johnson, a top 10 receiver in the league. And that's Amon Ressane Brown. And I just thought that was so interesting because everyone's chanting for Jamison. And I understand he's the new shiny toy. He runs faster maybe than anyone else in the NFL. I totally understand the excitement. I have the excitement. I'm so excited to see what that guy can do. But while the rafters are chanting for Jamison Williams, Amon Ross St. Brown is on the field doing (laughs) things almost no one else can do in the football, in the National Football League. And I am I am just really enjoying watching him. And I've really enjoyed enjoyed him over the last two years, Ben, because you know, he's a fourth round pick for a reason. He's not the biggest guy. I think he's listed at five eleven, maybe, maybe six foot, but I would be shocked if he's actually six foot. He's not that fast, doesn't have home run speed, but he does everything else well. Every every single other thing that is relevant to playing receiver in the NFL, he does at a plus rate. And that makes up for the, the the measurables. Like his route running is clinical. It's so clean and it's it's so consistent. You know, he, he comes out of his break. He explodes out of his breaks. He has good explosion, I would say. Maybe not good, you know, great speed, but, but good explosion. And this guy has just come so far, so fast. I mean, he caught more footballs in the, in the final month of his rookie season than every other player in the league. And some of his production this year has been down a little bit because of the high ankle sprain and the, the fears in New England about the, the brain injury, but has really hit his stride since in the last month, Ben, the number of players who have more receiving yards than that guy, one. One. Do you know who it is? Is it Jefferson? Devontae Adams. Devontae Adams, yep. That's it. And it, it's True. remarkable. And at this point, especially without Jameson on the field, I mean, teams know where the, that, that he's Jared Goff's favorite target. I mean, Aman Ra, he has double the catches and double the yards and double the touchdowns of everyone else on this team. People know where, the, where they're going with the football, especially on third down. And you know who's the number one receiver in the NFL on third down? Amon Ra, St. freaking Brown. <laughs> the one number I've seen floating around, which is just remarkable to me, is like 19%. It's the number, it's like the percentage of routes that Amon Ra, St. Brown runs on third down where he moves the chains. Not catches like that. That's like for like every five routes that he runs on third down, he's gaining you a first down. I mean, that's that's pretty remarkable. Goff was four or four when tar- targeting him on third down against Jacksonville, all of which, of course, led to scores because everything led to scores. It, it really is just remarkable to see how good that guy is, especially since yeah. we're seeing it before Jamison Williams is even on the field. It's it's been a beautiful storm of timing too. I did a podcast from the other side this morning, and I I went on a limb. I said Sam Brown, he's a top ten wide receiver in the sleep right now. Mm. Um, it's not a hot take anymore. <laughs> it's not a hot take anymore. I mean, my God, I I think during that game, I was like, you could throw a freaking semi truck at this guy at the point of the catch, and he would still come down with it when he's on that type. I mean, that catch he had to set up the first touchdown. Yeah, he took yeah. a f- straight up just missile collision from the deep safety. Then the second down throw in the second half. I mean, that was a rib shot. He gets up. He goes yeah. out for one play, two plays later, he's moving the chains on third down. I mean, I, and just because it's on the top of my head, since they made it a conscious effort to make him the focal point of that offense in Chicago, he's caught 37 of 41 targets. Mm-hmm. 37 of 41 yeah. while dominating in the red zone, while dominating on third down. He is Jared Goff's best friend, and that's not changing. And they are just, I mean, they are clicking. Like, they, he is his absolute trust, without a doubt. 
It's funny you brought up that goal line catch because that was the one that popped to me. I just couldn't believe it. I mean, I saw the ball puff up in the air, and once it had been touched, then, you know, everyone's fair game. And I saw him get blasted basically simultaneously when the ball was, like, floating through the air and still somehow he came down with it. And I brought it, I brought that play up to him in the locker room, and I asked him, did you, did you know you were going to get hit? And he's like, well, yeah, because <laughs> I'm in the middle of the field with a lot of traffic and stuff. But he actually said he was more proud of the other catch, the other catch you mentioned. Mm. It was, a, I believe, a second and seven play over the middle and a nine-yard pass, and he held on while taking a vicious hit for the safety. And he said he was proud of that one because he, he also knew it that one he was going to get hit, and he didn't know if it was going to be high or low or in the ribs or whatever. He just knew he was going to get hit, and he was uh, still able to hang on. It's just remarkable. I mean, the, the 37 to 41 is what you said, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's just so reliable. And now you, when you watch the film, like when I watch the film, I'm starting to see. I, so when I watch the film, I'm getting reminded a little bit of Matthew Stafford and Marvin Jones mm. in just very one specific way. They're very different no, players that, and yeah. quarterbacks and stuff. But like in one specific way, you know, they had a lot of trust between Marvin and, and Matthew Stafford. And Stafford he used to anticipate so far before like Marvin would come out of his breaks that he would throw the ball and release the ball. And you could like pause the film. And Marvin's like still like behind the defender or something like like that's how much trust they had in their relationship and and Matthew just knowing where Marvin was going to be, and you're starting to see more of that with Jared Goff and with Amon Ross St. Brown and some of these release points that that like I mean you can see on some of the like that one of the middle where he got crushed yeah. like he was well covered oh, and oh, yeah. and Goff gunned it in there and you know Amon Ross took a big blast but they held on and. You're just seeing that 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 trust unfurl, and it's going a long way, I think, toward the productivity yeah. in that relationship. And I did, you know, before we get to James Houston, I did want to touch on Jared Goff a bit, Ben. Absolutely, because we just talked a lot about St. Brown and how well he's playing. I mean, Chark came alive. I guess the Jaguars as well. You know, Josh Reynolds has played well this year. I mean, the receivers are playing well and they're producing. And St. Brown is one of the best receivers in the NFL. And I think it's hard to talk about that end of the passing game without talking about the guy who's throwing them the football. Jared Goff is playing at probably the highest level that I've seen him since he came to Detroit. We talked to him in the locker room this week, and he said he thinks he's playing the best football of his career, which is, yeah. and you wrote about it, you wrote a good yeah. story. It's intriguing because he's a two-time pro bowler who right. went to the Super Bowl, <laughs> and he says he's playing his best ball in Detroit. And as we approach this stretch run, you know, there's five games left. He's got a real opportunity to make a final statement with all of his receivers out there. Jamison Williams is coming back, as we've talked about. Swift is healthy. Jamal Williams is the, is the, is the rushing touchdown leader in the NFL. Like this offense is humming yeah. and he's the guy in charge of it. And he, he's got an incredible opportunity before him, Ben, to make a final statement before the offseason, a really critical offseason where the Lions are going to have a probably a top five pick because of the Rams implosion and obviously the opportunity to draft quarterback. And that's going to be a huge talking point no matter what happens between now and then. And Goff has a chance to really make a final statement. So I'm curious where you land on this whole, at least right now with five games to go, where you land on this whole conversation around Jared Goff and the Lions' long-term needs at quarterback. Oh, man. We talked about this for like 45 minutes in the press room earlier today, and it really is. It's tough because I've, I've said it. <sighs> He's playing so well right now that you would be foolish to force something on top of him. There's one guy in this draft that I would take no matter what, and that's Bryce Young. Any of those other names over Jared Goff? I don't know. The way it's going right now, I mean, he was 31 of 41 for 340 yards last week. He has developed a lethal combination with one of the cornerstones moving forward of this rebuild. I mean, he's clicking with the guys that they have built around him. I mean, that was my defense of the third and one throw to Jerk a couple weeks ago. They're giving Goff every chance 
to say this is my job to make the throw that a starting NFL quarterback has to make. And while he didn't make those, it's games like last week that's like, my goodness, if he keeps this going, if he keeps showing this, if he keeps growing, I mean, he's grown with Ben Johnson. He's grown with this coaching staff. He's grown with these young guys. And there is chemistry there and it's clear and it's just like he's made it such a tougher conversation than I would have ever imagined it being going into this offseason because I cannot believe I'm sitting here saying there is a window for golf to say this is my job for at least another year or two. And it's real. I mean, I'm not the guy's biggest supporter. I've said a lot of bad stuff about him as a football player, but he is playing lights out. He's working within the system. I think he had five or six passes of more than 20 plus air yards. He's doing all the things that we wrote saying that he needed to do. So it's like, there's an opportunity there. There's only one guy in the draft at this point right now, I would take over him and try to make it work. And that's, that's wild to me. Cause I was in the force at no matter what camp before the season started. So Bryce Young. Yeah, Bryce Young, man. Yeah. He's he's the one name that I would I would risk it all for. Yeah. Risk this chemistry, risk this progress for. It, it's him. And that's that's a that's props to Jared Goff. I think that there's valid arguments on all sides of the aisle. And I think that Jared Goff has played so well that it's not a matter of one answer is right and one answer is wrong. I think there's multiple paths forward. And that's a testament to Jared Goff. I think he has played so well that he has given the Lions at worst, flexibility with their decision-making at the quarterback position and time to make that decision. And that's not something I necessarily would have thought of 12 months ago or certainly 15 months ago with, with Jared Goff. So the first to me, for me, that's the bottom line. Mm-hmm. Personally, I think ultimately he's probably not your answer. And I think that you know, when I watched the playoffs, and again, you mentioned the spirited conversation that we had here in the press room. And this is a point I brought up then too to our friend Justin Rogers. You know, I, I couldn't watch the playoffs last year and see what Josh Allen was doing, what Patrick Mahomes was doing. I mean, Tom Brady and Matthew Stafford had their own duel in the in the NFC. I, I couldn't watch those games and those epic fourth quarter comebacks, particularly in the Bills Chiefs game, and not think about Jared Goff and his limitations. Right. And I think Jerry Goff has played well, but there's a difference between well or good or even very good and the top of the league at that position. And the best, most surest way to build a consistent winner in this league, which is what the Lions want to build, and they're in the process of trying to build that, is with a you know a, a an elite quarterback. And Jared Goff is not that. Even at his best, he's not elite. And I think that when you go, like even if you build a winner, even if you build a 10, 11, 12 game winner, you get to the playoffs, then you're going to then that, that's the kind of quarterback you're going to be facing. And if you have Jared Goff, you're always going to have these limitations that you're dealing with that are always going to cap how far you can go. And that's the way that I look at it. I think he's a good quarterback. And I think that if they roll with him for another year or two, there's nothing wrong with that per se. You're just not going to get to the place you want to get, particularly in a consistent way with Jared Goff. I, I just think the game has changed too much. And that's how I feel about it. But to your point, I think the most valid thing that you said was that this, the crop of quarterbacks coming up and how good are they? Because you are in a position now with Jared Goff and Jared Goff playing well in this offense, scoring 30 points every week. It feels like they, they lead the whole league in 30-point games. I mean, those numbers speak for itself, and most of these guys are back. Almost all the primary players are back next year. I think Jamal Williams is a free agent, DJ Tarek, but that, that might be it. So it's good you can bring the gang back if you want. So you don't, you're in a place where you don't have to draft a quarterback, and, and you shouldn't if you think the guy is just going to be like a lateral move. But you got to make these evaluations in a very serious way. And whether it's this year, next year, when you find a guy, when the Lions find a guy that they believe in, that they can build around, that can be their franchise guy, that Ben Johnson believes he can build a whole system around, and that guy can be a, a Patrick Mahomes type, a, jo- a Josh Allen type, they have to make that, that mm-hmm. move. 
Think about the Chiefs a few years ago when they had Alex Smith yeah. playing at a high level. They don't go out and get Patrick Mahomes because they believed he was the next step up. Then they're not the Kansas City Chiefs. Yeah. And that's that's the place the lines are in. And it's a very good place to be yes. in offensively. Yeah. That's a, You're dealing with a position of strength. Ben, they dealt Matthew Stafford <laughs> away for Jared Goff and two first-round picks and a third-round pick. That tells you all you need to know about what the Rams thought of Jared Goff. And it's a real testament to Jared Goff and the Detroit Lions and Ben Johnson and Dan Campbell and Brad Holmes that they pulled off this trade. And they now have Jared Goff playing at a comparable level to Matthew Stafford, even before Stafford's injury. Now Stafford's hurt. Yeah. you got a better quarterback in the field at the very current moment. And you have two, two first-round picks, one of which became Jamison Williams already. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> and yeah. the next one's going to be a top-five pick, probably. And you got and a third-rounder. I mean, that's a great trade. And then what's happened since the trade speaks a lot to what the Lions are doing offensively with Jared Goff. And you just can't say enough good things. No, and it is. It's all about the flexibility. And that 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 is, I mean, with another year with those two first-round picks, like you said. And, I mean... Jared Goff potentially giving this team two first-round picks that aren't devoted to a risky quarterback pick. I mean, that is a win-win-win-win, no matter if you wanted to see that guy as a long-term option or not. I mean, that's another opportunity to build that roster out even more while potentially kicking that tough question down the road another year. And it's like, I get why people don't want to kick it down the road another year because they can only picture bad Jared Goff in their head. But it's kind of like, man, if he's playing like this and he's clicking like this... See where it goes. You've built it around him. I mean, these guys fit what he does. That's another story on Jameson Williams. You don't want to risk that downfield ability. Yeah. But yeah, man, flexibility. And what a, yeah, well, what a weird spot. No, it's a good spot to be in. They've given themselves options. And, and part of that, too, is what they've done in the draft. They've done so much good stuff building that thing up. And they're getting contributions all over the place right now from rookies and second-year guys. We talked about Amon Ross and Brown. And Penny Sewell's a star up front. And then from this year's class, I mean, you look at, you got up front, you've got Aiden Hutchinson, who, I mean, is in the, on the very short list for defensive rookie of the year. Malcolm Rodriguez leads all day three picks and starts at, at, at linebacker and has played very well. Kirby Joseph was a defensive player of the week winner on the back ranks. On the outside, on the perimeter, you've got Jerry Jacobs, a second year undrafted yeah. guy playing at a high level. Jeff Okuda, who's still a pretty young player, playing at the best level of his career and, and like a first round pick finally. I mean, there are so many reasons to feel good. And then obviously most recently it's James Houston coming on super strong, three sacks in two weeks for him then. And I think it's now's a good time to bring him in and in our conversation down the locker room because I mean he's a good guy who's come a long way and is yeah, another piece who's getting into this rebuild. We're down here just outside the Lions locker room with none other than James Houston. James, it's been a wild couple of weeks for you, making your NFL debut on Thanksgiving. You now got three sacks, which is second among all rookies in the league, trailing only, of course, Aiden Hutchinson. I guess, what has this just couple of weeks been like for you, this whirlwind that you've been on? It's been a blessing, honestly. Coming from the private squad, you know, not getting no attention, just reading the card and doing the job, you know, to to having a, a role in the defense, you know, and making plays in the defense and having an effect on the whole team and the wins and stuff like that. And so it's everything I wanted. It's everything I prayed for. So I'm just, I'm blessed. I, I feel just very grateful. You told me after the Thanksgiving game that it almost feels like a red shirt year for you, you know, because mm -hmm. you, you haven't been able to play. Yep. You're the one guy from the rookie class who didn't make the team out of training camp. The coaches wanted to see more development out of you before putting you out there. Well, that's happened now. And, yep. and you've been given Panay and, and Taylor a, a problem in practice. Finally got the call to make your debut on Thanksgiving. So I'm curious, you know, just after, I mean, you had to wait so much longer than a lot of your, mm -hmm. your, your classmates. 
what was it like getting I mean, first of all how did it go down how did they tell you you were going to get to play on thanksgiving mm-hmm. then what was it like being being told you were getting to get so to basically i think it was like a, a tuesday tuesday morning i think the coaches had already been in there and so i guess they had their their meetings and stuff about what they're going to do and so they called me and he just coach chef called me first he was like houston we got a problem you know? <laughs> and so um, I was like, yeah, I know we got a problem. What's up? You know, and he was like, get ready this week. We, we going to get ready to sack some Josh Allen. So I said, I'm ready. Like, let's yeah. go. I was just so excited. I literally came in like right away to the building and I just got to work, got on my plays and stuff. So. Well, it's funny you say that because I had asked Aaron Glenn earlier today you know, about the, the sack you had this past weekend. Mm-hmm. And I, I've never personally seen a pass rush move like that. It was almost like a skip to the quarterback. Yeah. It looked like they, the Jacksonville hadn't seen it either because you just blew by the guy. Mm-hmm. And Aaron said he calls that the problem. That, ha- that pass rush move is called the problem. He had never seen it before. Right, right, right. I, I guess, like, where did that move come from? I don't want to say I made it up, but uh, I kind of just, kind of just made it up yeah. uh, during the game. I had kind of just felt like... <laughs> yeah, yeah. I did it a couple of times in practice. It was definitely not something that I would say was encouraged, but I think it's appreciated. Yeah. I was trying to figure out how to, you know, get around him. He was giving me so much space and was just waiting for me to, to kind of absorb. And I kind of had to play with his space and play with his, his feet and everything like that. And I just felt like the jump was would throw him off his rhythm. Yeah. First time you did that in practice, what did the coaches say to you? They told me not to do it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was like, don't do that. So, I, in the, so in the game then, so you're told not to do it. It's pretty, it's a pretty unconventional move. Mm-hmm. Is, so when you do in the game, is that your body taking over, and maybe it's something that you're doing yeah. before you even realize it? A lot of, re- a lot of my my stuff that I do is very natural. Yeah. Um, I don't really, I, I kind of have a plan before I go in, but like, I like to react off of people or make them react to me, you know, so, um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> How much do you credit to that? Uh, you played Edge last year at Jackson State, mm-hmm. some linebacker at Florida. How much do you credit that to being kind of new and figuring out the position on your own? I think that is a big thing because a lot of guys, you know, they come up learning how to how to pass rush, you know, like there's kind of like a set way to pass rush and everybody goes to these guys and they teach them these certain moves. And me, I didn't get that, you know, it was like line up and go <laughs> figure, just get to the quarterback. And so I just kind of figured stuff out on my own. I worked with my coaches at Jackson, Trevor Riley and uh, Jeff Weeks. Mm-hmm. And uh, they kind of, they, they trimmed me up a little bit, but they knew that I had the natural ability and they didn't want to overcoach me because they knew a lot of what I did was just natural and they couldn't coach it. I guess I just took it to the NFL, really. I heard that when they pitched the move to you at Jackson, going from linebacker to defensive end, they made the comp to, to Micah Parsons. Yeah. What was that conversation like? And I guess, why did you sign on with the move? I think it was a comparison to Michael Parsons just because I played inside, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, I still have that ability to play inside linebacker. And me personally, I feel like I'm a football player, you know? I know my ability is getting to the, to the quarterback, but I don't feel like I have to be off the edge, you know, to, to get to the quarterback. And that's just me just, you know, playing ball for so long and just kind of understanding, like, just different skill sets that you need to get past somebody or, or do these certain things. And so I feel like that's where really the comparison comes from. Just me be, having the ability, the versatility to line up on the edge and also play inside and, and do that. I wanted to go back to the to Jackson State. Yeah, you obviously started your career at Florida. How did you end up hooked up with Dion and, and Jackson State? Uh, it was really one of my ex-teammates from Florida. He, he went to Florida and he ended up at Jackson State. And uh, he was telling me about it and everything. 
His name is John Huggins. He was telling me just about, you know, how everything was going and how, you know, they were looking for guys and they had talked about me to him and they told him to reach out. And so he reached out and I was going through my process. You know, I had yeah. four or five other schools, you know, high, obviously higher schools looking at me and stuff like that. But um, I decided to give it a shot, you know, and it was a blessing. <laughs> everything kind of, everything just kind of worked out. Ended up visiting and I fell in love with the place, man. Fell in love with the culture there, the guys there, the coaches, everything. It was a blessing to be in Jackson for that year, honestly. Especially seeing Coach Prime leave. It was that was a special place in those those two to three years. Well, and I, I'm sure it still continued to grow. Sixteen and a half sacks speak for themselves, I think. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> what was the you know, the HBCU thing has been a conversation point around here for a couple of years now because Brad Holmes comes yep. from the HBCU. Mm-hmm. I'm curious what the HBCU experience was like for you and maybe what it did for you to Mm-hmm. I mean, it's kind of maybe kind of a detour on your like football journey because yeah. Florida's a top school. Obviously, yep. it's harder to make the NFL from an HBCU. So mm-hmm. I'm just kind of curious what that experience was like for um, you playing there. It was an experience that I knew I wanted to have, given that opportunity. My whole family has gone to HBCUs. Literally, oh, okay. like my parents, both my parents, my sister, cousins, uncles, aunts, everybody has gone to HBCUs. So it wasn't like it was a foreign concept to me. But I didn't know that I wanted that experience. That was an experience that they had always shared and talked about and I never had. And so my experience there, even though only being there for six months, it was phenomenal. Just seeing, you know, all these black kids, like literally my first day, seeing all these black kids walking on the campus, on the school, like learning, like they're not, like the media is not gonna push that. You know what I'm saying? Like that's nothing that you see every day, like. And it was just, it was something really special to me. And I knew I wanted to make my impact here because it affected my people and mm-hmm. I could affect my people. And um, I honestly, I just wanted to be a part of a movement, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not saying I started, I'm not saying, you know, I'm a big part of it. I just wanted to, to be a part of it, you know, and have my, my fair share in it. Coach Prime, Deion Sanders is a, I mean, his pers- personality is bigger than life, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and pretty well known. I'm curious, I mean, I'm, I'm 36, I'm a child of the 90s, I grew up watching <laughs> Deion, I think Deion and, and Barry were my two favorite players yeah, growing yeah, up, yeah. you know, just really special talents, you know. I'm, I'm just very curious to hear what it was like playing for Dion. What's what maybe the best story you got about playing for him, dealing with him, and having him in your life? So um, we got I just got to spend time with him, but you know during the season he had he had messed his foot up, hmm. so he was gone a lot during the season. You know he would call in and stuff like that. But one thing I could take away from Prime is that uh, he's a he's he's gonna be him. He's a true professional. He's a true man. You know what I'm saying? He gonna do what he say and say what he do. But he gonna do what he's saying, he gonna say what he do, you know, and you may not like what he says or what he does, but there's always gonna be a reason behind it. And it's, it's usually gonna work. Yeah. <laughs> That's something that I had to learn, you know, you know, just being able to, to trust, trust somebody, put my whole career in his hands. I would say he doubled it, you know what I'm saying? He yeah. gave me twice that back. How much do you credit? that experience for being here today it was i feel like it made me the player i am you know what i'm saying i, I don't think i'll be playing outside i don't think i would have that determination to continue to push through you know when, when things aren't going my way like it's a lot of stuff that i feel like i learned in those six months just being around him being around his staff his staff is great you know dennis thurman kevin mathis Tr- jeff weeks trevor riley all those guys man they're they're great they're great people you know they i feel like they build more of the person than, than the football player. I mean, they're great coaches, you know what I'm saying? But 
they they focused on me a lot, you know, and that, that's really what helped me. That's what I needed. I told them that's what I needed, and so I credit them for that. You, you say Dion's a man of his word, does what he says. Mm-hmm. He's usually right. Yeah. Of course, I got to ask about his move to Colorado. That's kind of I mean, a, a big talking point right now. There's mm-hmm. some like division on what he did and whether it was okay or not, or whether he misled anybody in Jackson State or said some things about it, like, what it meant to him to go to an HBCU and then two years later is going to Colorado. So I'm, I'm curious where you land on that whole conversation. What do you think of Coach Prime moving um, to Colorado? I feel like I'm indifferent. Like I said, he say what he do and he do what he say. And he, he said, he said what he said and he did what he did. You know, when I when I went there, he he told he told me that God called him to HBCUs to make a change, yeah. to to get the attention and the spotlight on on HBCUs, and I I believe he did it. I had a promise with him. I said if I come here, I I want to get drafted. I want to know that I have the ability to get drafted from here. He said without a doubt you do. I promise I'll make it happen, and he did. You know, I think as a coach, he's one of the greatest coaches. You know mm-hmm. because. I mean, well, he's just starting out, so let me not say he's one of the greatest coaches, but he's done what he's done on this scale. You know, I feel like, especially as athletes, as competitors, we always are striving for the next, you know. We always want to be the best, and he's been the best on multiple levels. And so I feel like he's taking that same ego, that same principle into coaching. And um, I feel like he's been the best at HBCU for his time there. And so I feel like he just, he needed to move on. And that was, that was his choice. You know, I can't say if it was the right or wrong choice. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. But I don't have any hate towards him for leaving. I don't think that anybody in, at Jackson State should because look how much he did. Like, I feel like everybody is just discounting the three years she was there. You know what I'm saying? It was like, ah, oh, you didn't stay long enough. You didn't, that means you didn't do anything. Like, you don't even know what he did, really. You know what I'm saying? Tell me something that he did and then maybe we can have a conversation. And just the amount of people he touched, that's really, that gives me all the way. Cause you know, things are things, but uh, the way you affect people, it really matters in life. But he changed the trajectory of your life. And right. Then, and then that's apparent exactly. your whole that, career and that, your I'm saying, That enough would, I mean, I think that's enough in itself. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Getting a young black man who wasn't on the right course to come here and get nurtured by him and get put back on the right course onto the right trajectory. I think that's exactly what we are asking of our coaches, you know what I'm saying? Especially black coaches. And so he's done everything he can. You weren't invited to the combine, which seems kind of like a snub, just given your production and the athleticism, obviously. I am curious the process of making it to the NFL after that snub, you know, what you did to get the attention of the Lions in the NFL. I know that Mm -hmm. uh, Dion had the HBCU Mm -hmm. Pro Day, I believe it was at your place, right? At Jackson State. Well, we had an HBCU, there was an HBCU combine at um, Bama, Bama State? No. No, not Bama State. What was it? It's in Alabama. I knew it was in Alabama. Okay, yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, they did an HBC combine there. But we had our own combine at Jackson State. We invited some of the other D2 and uh, HB, some of the other HBCU teams out there as well. But uh, the process, obviously, I mean, I had kind of been getting knocked on the whole process. You know, I, I think that's really what it's about, you know, just kind of trying to find different things to knock you on and bring you down. So, you know, they were talking about my height, speed, HBCU, didn't play at Florida, you know, just, just all these different things. And so I don't think, like, the combine invite was just like a stab in the heart, like, oh, they don't believe in me. Like, you know what I'm saying? It was like I never really thought they, they, they all the way believed in me. I always thought I had to prove something. And so um, that didn't really hit me. You know, uh, I just knew at, at my pro day I had to show out. Everybody that came out, it was going to be coming for me. And so yeah. uh, I knew whatever I did there was going to was gonna show up. Were the Lions at your pro day? 
I didn't speak to him. Yeah. I'm not sure. <laughs> what sort of contact did you have with Detroit? Sometimes they talk to guys they're going to draft, sometimes they don't. Yeah, I didn't have any contact with So you surprised them when you got that oh, call yeah. on? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. what, was, what was draft night, draft day, I guess, like for you? Oh, it was great. Set up, the whole family was there. Yeah. I was just waiting. <laughs> I was waiting, <laughs> sitting, and just not really knowing where I was going and just hoping for the best. Uh, I had kind of come to the conclusion, like, if I didn't get drafted, it was okay. You know, I was going to just have to work even harder. But, you know, that, that call came and I was just, it was just like a, a big relief, you know, mm-hmm. like everything was off my shoulders and I was like, somebody, it just felt good. Somebody believed in me. It you was such a journey to that point. Right. It's like I mean, somebody most. picked me, you know yeah. what I'm saying? Somebody picked me and wanted me on their team. And so that was, that was great for me. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm, I'm curious, like a, such a long process for you to get to the NFL. It was such a long process for you to get onto the field. Mm-hmm. Now you've had three sacks in two weeks, which yeah. is more than everyone in your draft class except Aiden. Um, 17 I, snaps. Yeah, it's crazy. It's, it's a pretty good clip. No, no pressure to keep it up or anything. Hey, I, I, got, um, a, I got a certain standard for myself. So yeah. I'm always pushed to it. Well, that, that was my question, I guess. Maybe we can wrap up with this too, is just what's next for James Houston, I guess. I mean, three sacks and every 17 snaps is not sustainable. The production does speak for itself in your athleticism. I mean, your bend is, I've never seen a guy bend quite like that. <laughs> AG compared you to Yannick, which I thought was kind of an interesting uh, comparison. But I guess like, what's, what's next for you? I mean, AG said that you have to show more understanding of the total defense, mm-hmm. round out your game a little bit, your yeah. game a little bit, to see the field more, maybe, maybe be a three-down player, I don't know. But I guess what's next for you in that transition to becoming more, more involved in the defense? I would say it's more of like, understanding the situation of what's going on in the game, you know, especially if I'm going to be a three down guy, you know, understand that the first down, they probably gonna run the ball, you know, so you got to figure out a way how to set the edge, play all blocks, it's whether it's spill or, or contain, you know, there's, there's different things in that and just, just understanding what's going on in the game and not just lining up and playing, you know, mm-hmm. I think that's probably the biggest thing for me. Is it crazy to look around in the field and see, you know, Aiden next to you and Malcolm behind you and Kirby in the back ranks? I mean, just can you get a taste of what this defense could be in a year or two? Once, yeah, uh, yeah. I think it's, it's going to be pretty special. Looking at the guys in the locker room, we're all pretty young. Yeah. And so, um, yeah, I think it's going to be interesting. That's all I can really <laughs> say. I think it's going to be interesting. Could uh, be a problem, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank you very much, James. All right, thank, thank you. you. This has been Ben Raven and Kyle Mikey of MLive's Detroit Lions Beat. Thank you for listening to the Dungeon of Doom, an MLive Detroit Lions podcast. Make sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Apple, Spotify, Google. Like I said, wherever you get them and listen to them, make sure to subscribe to the Dungeon of Doom. Thanks again. Thanks again.